You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. It's good to be back with you this morning uh, at Springview. I'm thankful for uh, Joey Burke being here a couple Sundays ago talking to you about David and spiritual leadership as a, a resting in Christ, the greater David, who has fought the battle on our behalf. And of course, last week, Mark Hazen was here talking about Phineas and a zeal for God's glory. Uh, it's crucial in spiritual leadership. And I thought this morning about... Um, preaching my pulpit swap message, which is also on spiritual leadership. I, I decided though a while back that I was going to do that, and I don't know that I've ever done this on Mother's Day, but preach a Mother's Day sermon. And I'm not sure in seven years of being here I've preached a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day. And I, I almost changed it last night, and Kelly said something about, well, don't you think people will be expecting a Mother's Day sermon? And I said, actually, no, I, I think they might want one, but I don't think they'll be expecting one after seven years. But, but today, we're going to consider uh, Mother's Day as we look to God's Word. So turn, if you would, to Proverbs 31. I want to talk about mothers and, and women more generally today from this well-known passage. I, I do want to tell you, as you turn to Proverbs 31, that I recognize a couple things that I feel like I should say up front. First of all, I recognize as I prepare to talk about women and following Jesus that I'm not a woman. Uh, and uh, so I recognize that, that I don't speak out a deep well of personal experience of what it's like to be a woman in today's world. But I don't mostly want to tell you this morning some observations and thoughts uh, from my own wisdom. I, I mostly want to look at what God's Word says this morning and see how it can help us as we think about following Christ. Uh, the second thing I recognize is that the context of the Proverbs 31 woman and today's 21st century woman is not the same. The world has changed in some pretty remarkable ways in the past 3,000 years. Uh, and that wins the Understatement Award uh, for today. The world has changed in pretty radical ways. I'll give you just one example. Uh, 3,000 years ago, there was no women that worked outside the house. No women went to work. Now, the truth is, men didn't go to work 3,000 years ago either. They, they worked in the house and in and around their home. So, so some of those kind of details, as we read through Proverbs 31, or as Aubrey did earlier, there will be any kinds of details that, that may not apply directly to us. But, but the big things... The basic kind of relational things haven't really changed. And so we can still get much wisdom from this, of course. The third thing I want to point out that I recognize this morning is that, that the things that I'm going to speak to this morning that, that are addressing women, most of them apply equally well to men as well. That these principles, are, are many of them are not uh, women-specific, but, but apply to, to anyone who's following Christ. But uh, I do this morning want to think particularly about what it means to follow Christ uh, for uh, the women here in our church. Uh, and, and I want to make that more broad than just, you know, here in uh, Proverbs 31, it addresses the excellent wife. And, and in the ancient world, virtually every woman is married. It's uh, and married young. I, I recognize that today not all women are married. Some are married. Uh, some aren't. Some were married in the past. Some will someday yet be married. I, I want to speak to women generally this morning as we consider this message called uh, In Praise of the Excellent 
woman. So what I really want to look at this morning with you is not this whole passage. I really want to look at the last four verses. Uh, Proverbs 31 is an acrostic. It, it starts uh, in verse 10 with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 11 starts with the second letter. Verse 12 starts it's like if we were to write a poem and start with A, the first line starts with A and the second line B and C. So it highly stylized and highly idealized. It's painting an ideal picture of what an excellent woman looks like. But this morning, I want to focus with you just on the last four verses. So look at verse 28. If you got the little, the little mother's gift as you came in, there was a little card in there. If you don't have a Bible, you can flip that around, and those four verses are right there as well. Look at verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's ask God for his help. Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would give us true understanding and insight to what it says. Father, we need your Spirit's help to see the truth of it, to believe it and embrace it, to obey it and live it out in a way that honors and glorifies you and is for us the, the means to great joy. So I pray that you would bless this time in the, the preaching of your word. You would speak to our hearts deeply with it. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage starts back in verse 10 with an excellent wife who can find. She is more precious than jewels. An excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels, which speaks to at least two things. It speaks, first of all, to her value. How valuable this kind of excellent woman is. And if you have this kind of woman in your life, you know. Your mother or your wife or a daughter or family member or close friend, how, how valuable this kind of excellent woman is. But, but it also, if you don't have this kind of woman in your life, you, you know that too. You know by the lack. An excellent wife who can find speaks to her value, but it also speaks to her scarcity. An excellent wife who can find. She's more precious than jewels. Jewels are precious because they are hard to come by. That's what makes them precious. That's what makes them valuable. They are relatively scarce. An excellent wife who can find. Why scarce? Well, the short answer is sin. The short answer is sin. Think about the best wife ever. Think about the very first one back in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, turn back to Genesis 2 just for a minute here. In Genesis 2, God has created the world. He's created the man. The man is alone. There's no helper fit for him. He's by himself. God says, that's, that's not good. And he creates the woman... And this is what the man says, Adam says in Genesis 2.23. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Never was there a more excellent and esteemed wife than this one. 
they've become one flesh. They are naked and not ashamed. There is a complete unity, a complete, we would say today, vulnerability. And why not? They are one body, heart, and soul. There's nothing between them. They are completely and entirely for each other. But then comes Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, they turn from God's word. They disobey his command. And sin and shame and death enter their lives and their world. So they start pointing fingers. They start to blame. Uh, these lovers have become adversaries. And in Genesis 3, verse 16, as the punishments are pronounced for their sin, God says, look to the wife. He says, your desire shall be for your husband. You're going to want to, you're going to, want to control him. And what's he going to do? He shall rule over you. He's going to control you. Before it's unity, oneness, openness, both fully for each other. Now they've turned against one another. Sin has entered the picture. That's the world we live in. Now relationship is marked by conflict and selfishness and blame. And it's not just the women, of course. It's not that one-sided. A number of years ago when I was in school, I read and, and did a report on a book called Promises I Can Keep, Why Poor Women Put Motherhood Before Marriage. And the reasons and issues there are complex, of course. But one of the things that came out again and again in the book is women saying things like, where am I going to find a good man? Where am I going to find a good man? It's heartbreaking. So this is true for men and for women, but men will get their week in a few weeks as we get closer to Father's Day. This morning, we want to consider the excellent woman. Proverbs 31, if you turn back there, Proverbs 31 is written to point us to a better way, to give us God's wisdom about excellent womanhood, which is to say true wisdom, because it is, after all, God's world. And I suppose there's a couple ways we could go with this. We could go at it this way. We could read Proverbs 31, and I could say something like, come on, get with it, ladies. You see what you got to do. It's not that complicated. It's all laid out there for you here. Stop settling for mediocre womanhood and work harder and faster and better. Come on. Be an excellent woman. It shouldn't be so hard to find for us virtuous men. It shouldn't have such a hard time finding an excellent woman. And maybe, maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to hear that. Maybe there's somebody here who's barely even trying. You, you do need to get up and get at it. But, but I don't think that sounds like most of the women I know. Most of the women I know work harder and faster and better than most of the men I know. They're overworked, underappreciated. And then Proverbs 31 comes along and makes them feel, well, even worse. It paints this ideal picture, uh, this ideal womanhood that, that nobody can fully live up to. And in reading and reflecting on it can, for many women, feed their insecurities and fuel their discouragement. And it encourages me, it just shows how far I am, how impossible it feels, how short I fall. Look, that's not what I want to do with you this morning. I don't want to discourage you, and that's not what Proverbs 31 is for. 
Proverbs 31 is meant to give us wisdom, wisdom that we need. And the place we have to start is not with more working and striving and effort. Look, if you want to be considered, if you want to be an excellent woman, you need to get really clear on the answer to two questions. First, who can actually confer that status on you? Who can actually tell you that you are an excellent woman in a way that matters and is real? And secondly, what do you have to do to qualify? Who can confer that status on you? And what do you have to do to qualify? And the order of those is important because if you're seeking that affirmation in the wrong places from people who can't actually give it to you, and I think often we are, then you'll kill yourself doing all the wrong things to get affirmation from all the wrong places. So I want to give you hope this morning, if I can. I want you to know and feel that you can, by God's grace, be this excellent woman that Proverbs 31 extols. And, and that it isn't far off. It isn't some pie in the sky, maybe someday, right before I die, maybe years and years and years down the road, I can get in within shouting distance of this thing the Bible calls the excellent woman. But I think you can start that journey today. If we get clear on these two questions and embrace the answers wholeheartedly. Well, the wisdom we need here is found in these last four verses of Proverbs. Three times in these verses, we see, and nowhere else in Proverbs 31, but three times in these last four verses, we see that the excellent woman is praised. She's praised. It's, uh, the word is halal. It's the same word we get hallelujah, praise God, praise Yahweh from. She is praised. She, she gets the verdict that we crave. She's the excellent woman. And the verdict is given. She is praiseworthy. And so I want to do this morning for these next few minutes is I want to look at these three times and ways in which she's praised and, and try to give you three principles from this that you can start putting in practice right away to grow as an excellent woman. All right, three principles. Here's the first. Principle one, focus on those closest to you. Focus on those closest to you. Verse 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. The first principle, focus on those closest to you. Paul Johnson, the great British historian, wrote a book uh, a few decades ago called Intellectuals. And he went through and, and surveyed some 12 or 14 famous intellectuals from the previous few centuries, starting back with Rousseau in the 18th century, working up into the 20th century um, with guys like Sartre and others. But uh, he, he talks, uh, surveying these intellectuals, the, the message of the book at the end is beware of the intellectuals. And this was the biggest problem. These people, uh, take one of the examples, uh, Karl Marx, He's a Karl Marx was a great lover of humanity in general. Right? He's advancing this uh, idea of, of Marxism. 
right? That class struggle and the oppression of the poor. He said, Marx, like all these other lectures, were great lovers of humanity in general. But all of them tended to ruin the lives of the actual people closest to them. Marx's family, like every other intellectual in his book, was miserable. He was loving people, but not the real people that were in his close circle, his family and his closest friends. And this is all too common a thing. Now, I doubt many of you here are destroying the lives of people closest to you, like Johnson notes of these intellectuals. But we can fall into a similar mindset that will hurt the people closest to you and rob you of any true joy. And that is a mindset that is always looking out, always looking to the crowd, to others, for the verdict that you are, in fact, an excellent woman. Always looking out. And not surprisingly, social media exacerbates this problem exponentially. You know, don't you, that every other woman on your Twitter and Facebook feed is an excellent woman, that you're the only one lagging behind. You know that, don't you? It feels that way. It's not true, but it feels that way. It, it can feel like we're in some kind of competition. And it's not just against one other person, it's against the composite of all your friends who are doing all these remarkable things. And you put them all together and say, I'm not doing anything. I don't measure up. I don't compare. Nobody can or can do all the things that your entire feed is doing, but, but we start to feel like we have to. And we begin to seek that affirmation, that verdict from the crowd. Two dangers. The first is that that we start to neglect those closest to us. We're so concerned with what the crowd, what everyone, some distance from us might say, that we begin to neglect the people closest to us. And the second danger is this. You, you can't get the verdict you want from the crowd. You can't look out to social media or some large peer group and receive from them the verdict you want, that you are, in fact, an excellent woman. Social media is a, a Darwinian jungle, a survival of the fittest. You can't conquer it. It cannot give you the affirmation and verdict that you crave. And, and we would be foolish to try. Social media, your network of friends, will never tell you you are an excellent woman, at least not in a way that will satisfy you for the long term. Focus on those closest to you. If you want to be an excellent woman, the verdict has to come from those who really know you, those who really are close to you. The excellent woman's husband says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Listen, he really knows. His verdict matters. Your children's verdict matters. Your closest friends and family, their verdict matters. They know, and they'll remember my brother-in-law, Kelly's brother, a couple years ago, some of you may have seen this, uh, had twins born, and he didn't tell anybody that he was having twins. And so when he made the announcement, he, he, he videotaped um, all, the, uh, all the reactions of people. He would tell them over Skype or the people that were down in Florida that could come. And so he made this whole video of people being surprised, thinking they're going to see one baby, but they see two. 
And this video went viral. It's been seen by over 20 million people. He's been on radio and TV shows about this viral video about the surprise twins that nobody was expecting. Over 20 million people have watched this video. You know who's talking about that video and those twins today? Just our family. Just our family. And that's okay. That fame, that wide acclamation, that wide recognition is fleeting. Focus on those closest to you. Don't diminish the value of their praise and their perspective. You see, you can con the crowd, but not your family. They know. If your children rise up and call you blessed, you are. They know. If your husband praises you as an excellent woman, you are. He knows. The first principle is focus on those closest to you. Here's the second principle. Focus on the welfare of others. Focus on the welfare of others. Look down to verse 31. It says, Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. You know, the gates refer to the gates of the city, and the gates of the city were the center of the city's social and political life. The, the elders, the leaders of the city would gather. That's where business was conducted. You remember in the story of Ruth, Boaz wants to make, uh, take her as his wife, but he has to clear it with a nearer kinsman. And so where does he go? He goes to the gates of the city where business is done to meet him and deal with business there. And the picture here is this, that the elders and leaders of the community are gathered together, and part of their business is to pronounce praises on this excellent woman. This woman deserves commendation. She deserves to be honored. What for? It says, for her works. For her works. Well, what kind of works? Uh, look back a couple verses to the three verses right before a section. Look back to verse 25. It tells us, that strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Why does she laugh at the time to come? Because she's not worried about it. It's like in Psalm chapter 2, when it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? That the rulers of the earth gather against the Lord's anointed. And then it says in verse 4, He who sits in heaven laughs. They're plotting against God's king, and God just laughs and shakes that. What do you think you're going to do? She looks at the future and laughs. Why? Because she's prepared for it. She's preparing for the future. She's not caught up just in today. She's not spending her energies and time on immediate gratification and pleasures. She's preparing for the future, and she's esteemed for it. Or verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, the teaching of kindness, is on her tongue. When she goes around conducting her business and speaking with people, her language is such, her speech, her words are full of wisdom and full of kindness. They bless people. They help people. They encourage people. She is valuable to people in the community for her words. And then verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She works hard for the welfare of her household. See, the excellent woman is focused on the welfare of others. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because the greatest man who ever lived said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So it's no surprise that the excellent woman is focused on the welfare of others. And Jesus repeatedly shows that the path to greatness does not come through self-exaltation, but self-denial and service to others. See, in a very real sense, you don't become an excellent woman by trying to become an excellent woman, but by giving yourself up, yourself up for the joy and excellence of others. Listen carefully. You don't, you don't become an excellent woman by surpassing other women, but by serving them. You don't become an excellent woman by surpassing other women, as though it's a competition, but rather by serving them. If you get this, if you really embrace this, it will change your life. It will reshape your entire future. If you get this, that it's not a competition to surpass other women, but to serve other people, you, you have in your future the possibility of real joy. The excellent woman focuses on the welfare of others. And you may say, and it's a fair question, well, well, who's focusing on my welfare? And the answer is, Jesus is. Every day, all the time, unwaveringly, unreluctantly, he is working for your joy and welfare. His work on the cross proves that beyond any reasonable doubt. The Son of Man didn't come to serve to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He comes giving his life, going to the cross as a sacrifice to demonstrate his love, to demonstrate his eternal, unwavering commitment to you. You are free to give yourself up in service to others because Christ is unfailingly, unswervingly giving himself up for you. Focus on the welfare of others. Here's the third principle. Focus on the ultimate verdict. Focus on the ultimate verdict. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here we get to the heart of the matter. It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Because almost everything in the world around us screams the exact opposite message. Proverbs says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. That word charm is, is often translated grace or favor. It appears often in a phrase like, so-and-so found favor in the eyes of. Genesis 6, Noah found favor, or same word here, in the eyes of the Lord. Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz. Esther found favor in the eyes of the king. It's, it's how a woman might act so as to charm or impress or please people. So if that charm is how she acts and conducts herself, the beauty is more closely tied to how she looks. Our culture, of course, is obsessed with this. With beauty, with physical attractiveness, with fashion, with sex appeal. Our visual media is constantly throwing this in our faces. You know, before there was television, internet, other digital media, it was certainly possible for a woman to be jealous of or, or insecure about the beauty of the other women in her life. But it was a limited number of people. And since she'd know these people, she could take other factors into account. But today, digital media is full of 
impossibly beautiful people. Impossible often because the images are fake, and impossible because they set standards that are impossible for virtually all of us to reach. And, and most insidiously, they hold out physical beauty and attractiveness as the most important quality to possess. There are many people that are famous and esteemed and for little reason beyond how they look. In that light, it's remarkable, isn't it, that Proverbs 31 says nothing about the physical attractiveness of the excellent woman other than to say it's vain. It's the same word used in Ecclesiastes for vanity. All is vanity. It's fleeting. It's a vapor that vanishes in the wind. We saw in verse 26, the excellent woman laughs at the time to come. But not the woman who's counting on her beauty to get her through. She's terrified of the time to come. Charm and beauty don't last. And they don't satisfy in the present either. You remember the old story, one of those uh, old industrial robber barons, uh, one of the Carnegie's or Rockefeller's, or one of those who was asked, well, how much, how much money would you need to be content? And you remember his answer, just a little more. Beauty's the same way. How much beauty would you need to be content? And the answer is always, just a little more. There's no path to joy there. You can't get there. The woman who counts on charm or physical beauty for her verdict of excellence has foolishly fallen victim to what the Bible calls the fear of man. That, that what people think of her is what matters the most. That what people will think of her drives her actions and her behaviors. So she's a slave to fashion, to, to beauty and beauty products, to time and energy, sometimes obsessive attempts to receive the commendation and praise of others. It's understandable, given where we live, but ultimately foolish and empty. You can't win this game. The point isn't that you should stop trying to look nice, but that you should stop investing your hope and joy and future in that. We need a category shift. The wise woman, the excellent woman, isn't a slave to what people think of her. Their praise doesn't get her to a high. Their lack of praise or criticism doesn't get her too low. She doesn't fear man. She fears God. It's his praise, his commendation that she looks to. And so she's focused on the ultimate verdict. Listen, the ultimate verdict in your life won't be pronounced by your social media network. It won't be determined by your friends. It, it won't ultimately even be determined by your family. It will come from your creator. He knows. He knows the truth about you. He knows the things you do to help others that no one else may know. He knows the battles and victories you've won over temptation and fear and doubt that maybe no one else might commend you for. He knows. The ultimate verdict will come from God. And every short-term verdict in this life will ultimately fade away. Let me talk to the men for just a moment. Is that how you encourage the women in your life to think? Is that how you encourage them to think? Does your wife see her relationship to God as the thing that you value most? Or does she see only your concern for how she looks or some other thing about her? What about your daughters? 
What about your daughters? Do they see from you, dad and mom, that the thing that you value most for them is their relationship to God, their concern for how he thinks about them, their fear of him? Or, or, do, you, or do you maybe even, however unintentionally, feed into um, uh, their, the pressures to conform to the desires of this world, the values and priorities of this world? Everything around, everything around our daughters tells them that they need to be obsessed with how they look. Do, do you feed into that too? See, see we, we, we need to change. We need to flip the script and change the story. Proverbs 31 says nothing about physical attractiveness beyond that it's ultimately vain. But the excellent woman fears the Lord. Is that what your daughters, is that what your wife, is that what they believe? Is that the story you're telling them? Well, let me ask you as we finish this morning. I trust that, ladies, you want to be an excellent woman. Will you focus on those closest to you? Will you be more concerned about them, their sense, their evaluation of who you are, than the crowd? Will you focus on the welfare of others? Being an excellent woman is not mostly about trying to be an excellent woman, but about trying to serve and bless others. And finally, will you focus on the ultimate verdict? Stop chasing the esteem. Stop, stop giving in to the, the powerful temptation to, to fear man, and rather fear God. To take his, his evaluation his commendation, his concern as the most important. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. Father, we face many temptations, many struggles, and we know that the women here in our church that we love, that they are they're bombarded by all sorts of messages, all sorts of pressures, that it's very easy to fall in all sorts of guilt and uh, discouragement and and even despair. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would deeply encourage every woman here, that, that they would see becoming the excellent woman, the excellent wife, not as something unattainable and out of reach, certainly that they would not see it as a competition against others, but they would see it rather as the effort to, to bless those closest to them, to serve others, to, to leave the verdict of, of who they are and what they're all about to you. Father, we need much grace and much help in this. I pray that, that the men in our church would deeply encourage them in this, that, that we would be more concerned, most concerned, about how the women in our life are growing to be more like Jesus, to fear you and live in a way that honors and pleases you. I pray that, that in our families, in our church, we would flip that script, we would rewrite that story, so that we might find in you real joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I want to thank you for coming this morning. It's been good to be here. Um, let me send you out with these words of benediction from Philippians 4. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, 
there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, may the God of peace be with you this week as you seek him.